0: Welcome to the Doctority Canada Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Shayshav, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institutions. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Yash Sardiwala, who is a second year plastic surgery resident at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. Yaish is originally from Durban, South Africa. He completed both his undergrad, majoring in neuroscience and medical school at Dalhousie University. His interests include hand surgery, microsurgical reconstruction, health outcomes, and health economics. Yaish, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I'd love to get started with a big picture overview of what it's like to train at your program.
1: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, McMaster has a direct entry plastic surgery program, just like any other, uh, Canadian medical school. And the process goes through comms, uh, just like any of the other training programs. Hamilton is a big city and McMaster has a, a catchment area of over 2.1 million people. So you can imagine that between our, uh, training sites, there's quite a large volume and we have almost one-to-one ratio of uh, residents to staff on, on any given rotation. I think the uh, important parts of this program is that we have diverse exposure because there's so many different faculty with fellowship-level trained plastic surgeons in each of the significant areas that we require Royal College certification in. And we also have a large resident group. So there's significant contribution from our peers helping us along the way and um, providing us a lot of hands-on training from senior to junior residents. So
0: how many residents do you guys take at your program?
1: So the uh, usual number of residents that we take each year varies between two and three in alternating years. These are the CMG spots that we have available, and additionally, there will be a IMG spot that's usually a Middle East trainee every second year. So what that means for the total number of residents that we have in our program, it can be anywhere from uh, 10 to 15, but it can get as many as 20 um, in, in a given year.
0: Great. How much plastics experience do you guys get over the first two years? Yeah, so I, I think that's
1: a really interesting question. And it's one where there's uh, there's a lot of variation between the programs. Uh, Mac has recently changed our curriculum and there's been a revamping done in the past year. So in our first year, we mainly spend time off service and we only do three months of plastic surgery at St. Joseph's Hospital, which is not our trauma site, but more of our elective surgery and uh, cancer site. So second year has been the year that's been revamped. And we spend a total of eight months on plastic surgery, six months of this being at the Hamilton General, which is our level one trauma center. And then we also do two months of pediatric plastic surgery. And that's that's been the big change that, that has come about.
0: And while you're talking about the different sites, could you just tell me a little bit more about some of the main ones that you have access to as residents? Yeah, so the three main sites that we
1: rotate through in in our residency are St. Joseph's Hospital, which I've already mentioned, and then Hamilton Health Sciences is broken down into the adult site, which is the Hamilton General Hospital or HGH. And then there's the Children's Hospital that's also encompassed by uh, Hamilton Health Sciences That's called McMaster University Medical Center, or some people call it MAMSI.
0: Now, going back to the experience as a resident, uh, what's the experience like when you're on non-plastic services?
1: In terms of off-service rotations, I think a lot of residents often find it difficult to find utility in what these rotations are meant to add in our ultimate goal of becoming uh, plastic uh, surgeons. We do two months of internal medicine, we do two months of pediatric plastic surgery, we do two months of general surgery which includes trauma um, in our first year. I think when I look at each of these rotations, uh, the exposures that you get in these services as well as the independence that many of these programs afford you when rotating through them is actually invaluable to developing surgical skills that complement that of plastic surgery. I look back to my uh, trauma um, and general surgery rotation, which were my first two rotations of residency, and I think that some of the basic ATLS, resuscitation protocols, ward management, has proved extremely useful as i made my way through my plastic surgery training and it's skills that I still continue to use every day. The same can be said about fundamental principles when it comes to pediatric plastic surgery from my pediatric general surgery rotation, because when you're thinking about weight-based dosing, common surgical presentations in these pediatric uh, populations, these have been uh, these have been useful as well. I think the other part uh, that off-service rotations help with fundamentally is becoming familiar with your colleagues and knowing when you can call those people for help. Not in an impersonal level, but these are people that you've actually spent time with that you've gotten to know that you can you know rely on for for help when you need it. And I think that uh, doing these rotations and being exposed to all the different sites during your off-service time was, was useful for that purpose.
0: Are there any fellows at your program?
1: So McMaster has historically had uh, fellows in microsurgical recon, breast reconstruction. But uh, during my two years of being in the program, we have not had any fellows. And I think that uh, that has been extremely beneficial in terms of Operative exposures, our own independence as residents, uh, to do with the big cases, to have that one-on-one time with our staff when it comes to those cases, and to you know really just embrace that whole experience and take full advantage of it.
0: Now switching gears a little bit and talking about research, what are the research opportunities like? So McMaster has a
1: very strong research background with uh, Dr. Achilles Toma. Who has been, you know, very instrumental in evidence based surgical research for a long time, driving a lot of this. He, uh, he mandates and there is a program requirement that residents complete a at least one publishable project each year of their residency that we both um, try and, and have the manuscript submitted and published into a journal, but also present at our annual research day that has visiting professors. And And there is a strong emphasis on this furthermore um one of our staff at uh St Joseph's Hospitals, Dr. Sophocles Vonekos, is the head of our clinician investigator surgical program at McMaster, and he's also somebody who really encourages every resident to do some amount of research every year and uh he really tries to find that that balance between the interest of the resident and the type of project that works within that so You know, not everybody is is adept at doing bench research. Not everyone likes doing systematic reviews, but he's someone who'll sit down with the residents multiple times a year and make sure that there's something that they're interested in that they can find common ground on. So, you know, he's done this with me and we've been doing research in in health economics. We've been doing research in different uh, TXA studies for breast reconstruction. So that idea of being able to bounce back ideas between someone who has a master's in science, who's the head of that clinician investigator program that has access to resources, has definitely been a catalyst for McMaster residents doing some quality research over the years.
0: That's fantastic. And on that topic, what kind of support is available for presenting research?
1: Yeah, so our program does encourage everybody to attend conferences regularly. Things have obviously been very different during COVID, but one of the Perks that we have as as Mac residents is that there's eighteen hundred and fifty dollars available each year for conference uh, presentations. So that money is set aside for each resident, regardless of the year that you're in, to go to a conference to pay for fees, travel, accommodation. If if you're presenting a poster or a um a podium presentation at at a conference.
0: Are there any limits that you know of in terms of support that you may receive for research?
1: I, I think when it comes to research, we find that a lot of our uh, time that exists within the program is in, in the earlier years. So in the first three years, most of our time available uh, exists to start big projects at that time. And a big constraint that I find is as you become a more senior resident where your operative responsibilities and your clinical duties become more demanding. That's often a constraint in in being able to do more research. The, The other part is when it comes to our residents applying to the clinician investigator program, MAC does not offer a direct stream into that from the calms process, but rather one resident per year will likely be able to do that if they choose to. So in terms of a restriction of the support, if you're in a year where you know 3 out of the 3 residents want to do cip it, it's very unlikely that all 3 of them will be able to get into that program but that being said i don't think we've ever encountered a year where that was the case so everyone that's wanted to do cip was supported and actually got funding to be able to do that for a two year masters in evidence based medicine and health research methodology so yeah our our program has actually taken advantage of that and there's been i think one resident every 2 years that that's taken advantage of that program what's call like so because we have we have different sites we we cover call accordingly so there's a resident that would be on call for St. Joseph's hospital and then there'll be another resident who's on Call for HHS, which Hamilton Health Sciences means that you're on call for the pediatric hospital and you're on call for the level one trauma center that is the Hamilton General. So within each of our sites, there there'll usually be a junior and a senior resident who's taking call for each of them. the The call at St. Joseph's Hospital is usually quite relaxed and uh, not busy overnight. But there can be days just just like anywhere where you're taking plastic surgery call where you can have a few emergencies that would take you into being in the hospital overnight and and uh, operating into the late hours the The hamilton general as as I mentioned before, is a level one trauma center, and you can imagine that having a catchment area of two point one million people puts it into a similar boat that our other big trauma centers in Canada would have. so when you're thinking about Sunnybrook and you're thinking about Winnipeg vancouver there's a similar amount of trauma that you see there and as a the plastic surgery resident on call uh you'll often hear about a few motor vehicle accidents overnight there can be gunshots there can be stabbings that you know mandate you being there sometimes and and the other big part about the hamilton general it's also one of two regional burn centers in ontario sunnybrook being one the hamilton general being being the second so you also, you know, if there is a major burn that's being admitted, you will have to be present for that uh, intake and to make sure that the resuscitations are appropriate and their um the protocols are according to our burn guidelines are adhered to. So call call at the Hamilton General is busy and it can be quite uh taxing, especially in your second year of residency where you're primarily responsible for a lot of those calls as the junior resident, you're seeing those patients, you're resuscitating them. So I, I would say that call is definitely busy, but it's also extremely rewarding because that, that's where your formative skills in basic plastic surgery management, your your ability to function independently really gets developed. And without having that that experience, you, you may never develop that skills uh, compared to a program that may not have as much
0: exposure as that. What is the allied primary health practitioner support like?
1: Yeah, so I think a good way to, to think about this is in twofold, inpatient support and outpatient support. Our inpatient support is, is most likely best represented by our, our burn trauma units, which most of our patients end up in. And in that unit we have um our team of nurses that are more experienced than any of the residents. They've been there. The the charge nurses have been there for 20 years or more. So they really are the people that you can count on, you can rely on, and they, they often help you when you're a bit lost and confused. They can be the ones that um that really show you what the the, the most appropriate next steps are. There's also on this unit it's a it's an interdisciplinary unit, just like an ICU would be where we have physiotherapy, we have occupational therapy, and a pharmacy also close by. So when it comes to our rounding, even though everyone may not round together as an ICU team, when we are discussing our patients after our morning rounds, everyone is available to to bounce ideas with and to see you know, what are the barriers to this person's care, what can we do uh, to improve that. In outpatient settings, there's usually our hand therapists and occupational therapists that are, uh, that are nearby at both sites, the general and at uh, St. Joseph's hospital to be able to laser with to set up uh, splints, exercises, hand therapy. And, uh, they're the ones that are, that are most available that we work with uh, intimately. The, uh, the nursing staff, of course, are available in, in our clinics as well.
0: So we're going to switch gears a bit, and I want to know a little bit more about the opportunities that you may have for elective rotations.
1: Yeah, so uh, at MAC, our residency is, is quite defined up until third year, and fourth year is where we actually have uh, some time set aside for electives. So there's two months available for electives of our choice, and it can be anything. So it can be in Canada it can be abroad, it's it's your pick as to what you want to do with those two months. And there's also a further one month community elective that we have in our fourth year. So that just has to be in a community setting. So a non non tertiary care center. And uh, the other part of fourth year that uh, and, and fifth year is we have cosmetic surgery rotations that are dedicated time. It's mainly with one of our faculty, Dr. Roger Short, who the residents spend time with on those cosmetic surgery rotations, uh, where you you have protected time to learn uh, aesthetic and cosmetic
0: surgery. Yeah, so I'd like to ask more about that as well. What's the overall cosmetic experience like?
1: Yeah, so I, I haven't done it yet because I'm in my second year, but the other residents, when you speak to them, Dr. Roger Short is obviously uh, very skillful at his craft and he's also a very good teacher and there are cases that residents get to do as resident cosmetic cases which is which is always useful to be able to have that experience for yourself and you know it's obviously a a more protected patient population because it's a lot of people's reputations that may be uh, on the line when it comes to cosmetic surgery but because we have that unique experience we actually develop uh, quite a Good amount of exposure to it. And I think what the other residents also stress is that if you want to gain more of an exposure, those electives that you have in year in are a good time to, to gather more cosmetic experience.
0: And do you guys have a resident cosmetic clinic? So we, we don't have a resident
1: aesthetic clinic at the moment. But uh, Dr. Mark McRae, who's our competency by design director, is in the process of arranging that and although that may take a few years he is trying to obtain further cosmetic exposures by having residents join other surgeons during their cosmetic time in private clinics to get a feel of what different plastic surgeons do in their cosmetic practice.
0: Awesome, I'm glad that's in the pipeline. Now going back to elective rotations, could you tell me a little bit more about global surgery type rotations? There there are a few
1: of our plastic surgeons that do global outreach projects. Dr. Karen Levis, who's our site director at St. Joseph's Hospital, um, has been the one who's done this more recently. As she was doing a a cleft outreach project, can't remember which country she went to, um, but I know she's definitely done a few of these trips. Dr. Mark McRae has um has an interest in these as well. And I think he's actually gone with Dr. Antonisian from Toronto to the Ukraine and, and done a project with him. But uh, yeah, there's definitely an opportunity for this as our staff go away. And uh, th- when, when they do, they definitely offer the opportunity to residents and this funding that's associated with this to, to join them on those projects. And is there experience with gender
0: affirmation surgery? No. So uh, no one
1: in Hamilton is is doing ND, any uh, gender affirming surgery at the moment. So we don't have any exposure to that.
0: All right. So now switching gears, are there any other perks about your program that you'd like to share? I, I think we talked about the conference stipend already. So that's um, one of the big things that we
1: get in terms of uh, additional funding. We get a... Uh, lab coats, we get instruments um scissors, two-point discriminators provided to us at the beginning of our uh, residency, and that was something that Dr. Toma has uh, definitely passed on down the years—is getting that equipment to us. We get uh customized plastic surgery attire, which includes uh, like workout shirts and hoodies uh, that we that we get just to show some sort of camaraderie between the group, so that we we all have something uh, similar in that way. There's also uh, a microsurgery course that we do at the beginning of our third year. So this is a two weeks of dedicated time where we don't have clinical duties that we get fresh animals to work on for microsurgical skills. And, uh, you know, this is something that our faculty have spent a lot of time and money doing for the residents to gain those microsurgical skills. Furthermore, we're we're introducing fresh cadaveric courses in the summers. So when teaching sort of is not in full swing, we also have the opportunity for the staff to come in with these fresh cadavers. This is along with the orthopedic surgeons uh to work on some flap skills, dissections, just basic, you know, uh common plastic surgery surgeries that we can uh work on together. So we have those in terms of labs, we have our microsurgical course. And then there is, every now and then, we get special funding for other equipment. So if we're buying loops or headlights, there may be some some special funding that's brought in for residents to pay for those things, because those expenses can des- definitely add up.
0: And what area of plastic surgery would you say residents come out with the strongest experience in?
1: So I think that's the thing about math that's quite that's quite impressive, is that we get most of the common plastic surgery operations we will we'll get will get tons of exposure to it So when it comes to common hand um presentations, we see lots of that at St Joseph's. We do head and neck reconstruction at St Joseph's, so that's something that only I think Winnipeg and calgary still still really do as um a plastic surgery service, so we get quite significant exposure when it comes to head and neck recon, so I think we're comfortable with that. Breast surgery at the Juravinsky Hospital with Dr. Avram and Dr. Coronius. So, um, in terms of tissue expanders, um, breast reconstruction using free flaps, we I think that's probably what we are the most comfortable with. And we get lots and lots of exposure of breast surgery. But yeah, I, I think Mac really is a very comprehensive program where we we get lots of exposures to craniofacial, breast, hand, head and neck reconstruction. The part that maybe the shortest out of all of that is our cosmetic surgery training. But again, that's something that, that is changing in our program and we're beginning to get more exposure as well.
0: And if you could, how would you improve your program?
1: I, I think we, we were talking about the cosmetic surgery side of things. So that's something that everyone is aware of that we're, we're all working towards uh, to improving. I think that that's probably the big thing that we have. We have a very uh, young faculty combined with our more experienced surgeons. So, there's people that are interested in medical education make uh, like optimizing our competency by design model. So, there's a lot of people uh, that have ideas that are working to optimize our residents' experiences. So, I think you know the residents and the staff and the people on uh, on the program committee are all working close by to. Figure out, you know, are there shortcomings in a particular rotation or are there issues with a particular like site and where we, we meet almost every six weeks to discuss these things and to to improve it. So there's constant improvements, obviously, and there's the smaller things that that wouldn't matter to applicants that that we we work on uh, like a weekly basis to try and, and improve. But I think our cosmetic surgery side of things is where we're going to have um, a little bit more of a focus in the next few years.
0: So, staying on the topic about staff and leadership, could you tell me a little bit more about the department leadership? So, the chair, the chief, and the program director.
1: Yeah. So, um, our chair of our division is Dr. Uh, Jamie Bain. So, uh, Dr. Bain is one one of the best surgeons, one of the best plastic surgeons in Canada. Um, and he's a peripheral nerve specialist. Um, he's someone who the residents all love spending time with, love operating with them. And he's probably one of our best teachers because he lets residents think about cases, think about how the Royal College will be examining them on a particular topic. And he truly is somebody who cares about residents. So Dr. Bain is, is kind of everyone's mentor. He's an overall plastic surgeon and just a, a good person to, to be around who embodies a, a an ethos that any surgeon would would be proud to have. So he's our chair, um, and he he'll definitely be around for a while. We have site chiefs, so our site chiefs for HHS, so the Hamilton Health Sciences, is uh, Dr. Ronan Abram. So he's the the old uh, program director um, who Dr. Matthew McCray took over from, um, and Dr. Abram does a lot of breast surgery. So. He's someone who's um, very approachable, who the residents uh, can really, uh, you know, speak to. And he's someone who will listen to, to any issues that they're having. The site chief at uh, St. Joseph's Hospital is Dr. Karen Levis. So she's also one of the senior plastic surgeons that's available. Again, she's a very comprehensive plastic surgeon who does all kinds of hand, wrist, surgery, um, as well as head and neck reconstruction. So she's, again, um, she's one of the plastic surgeons who uh, the senior residents rotate with mostly, who gives them pearls about some, the Royal College exam. She was the outgoing uh, chief examiner of the Royal College, so she definitely has insights into the exam and tries the best to prepare um, all the residents for this. In terms of our program director, I, I mentioned Dr. Mark McRae, who's our Competency by Design Director and his twin brother is Dr. Matthew McCray, who's our program director. So, the two of them together uh, obviously work very close together. They're, they're best friends, um, they're twins. So, the two of them are, have really been instrumental and, uh, in redesigning our curriculum, making sure we're meeting all these competencies and uh, really shaping our program up for the next step in, in Royal College training. So Dr. Matthew McCray was actually the surgeon who I spent time with when I did my elective here. And he, he's really a very kind plastic surgeon. He's very thoughtful and he's someone who also genuinely cares about our residents. And I think this is a common theme between our, our plastic surgeons who are staff at this program is that, um, no one is unapproachable. No one is there to trick anyone. No one's there to try and make somebody feel inferior. Everyone's working together along this common goal, and trying trying to make this program as as best as we can. So I I think that's the one thing that unites the staff and
0: the residents um, is that we're all working together. That sounds fantastic. Can you tell me about a time when you or another resident might have brought up an issue to the program leadership and how they responded? There was an issue recently
1: that junior residents were feeling less supported than they ought to have been at the Hamilton General site, and uh, this was an issue raised by our resident uh, progress committee to the uh, the program leadership, including the program directors, the site chiefs, as something that we needed to work on. Immediately, the uh, program recognized that the Hamilton General is obviously a very busy site and that we should be providing our junior residents with more of an educational opportunity rather than exclusively service. In order to rectify this, the junior and senior residents call system was introduced almost immediately to, to try and rectify this issue. This meant that junior residents had a senior, so that would mean an R4 or R5, supporting them on every call shift that they had, and they knew that they were dispensable to be able to call them if there was something in the emergency room, if there was something that they were doing on the ward, in the burn unit, or in the main operating room where they could have um, a second pair of hands. It also meant that they were afforded the same amount of opportunities in terms of operating and um, management if they were comfortable with it. Um, And even if a case went to the main operating room, senior residents were usually willing to play the part of the supportive role rather than taking over a case. So I think we found a very good compromise in the situation, and it was something that the, the program leadership was very responsive to and adapt at dealing with.
0: As far as you know, do you foresee any changes in the faculty in the next few years?
1: Yeah, so um, recently, Dr. Sarah Appleton was our primary surgeon at the Hamilton General, and she's left to take a new job at um, Western University in London. So we're, we're currently looking for two new plastic surgeons to take her role on at the Hamilton General in terms of providing care for our trauma and um, burn populations. So there, there's definitely going to be a change in the next few months, and. I know currently there's, um, there's a posting for two jobs that are available in Hamilton.
0: And what kind of role do residents play in department decision-making? So whether that be choosing new faculty or choosing new residents?
1: Yeah, so I, I think um, I think our program really seeks resident input for almost all decisions when it comes to how to use our program funding, uh, when it comes to column selection, when it comes to... You know, picking our rotations as junior residents, they really seek our input to see what was valuable and what residents see as being important. I can tell you that as an R1, I was on the comms committee and when we were picking our new residents, the voice of the current residents were definitely heard because we're often the ones who spend the most time with medical students and we're also the ones who are going to be co-residents with them for five years. So I think the staff understand this, and they definitely want some our input. I think the other thing to say is that it's a very collegial environment. It's not seen as there being this rigid divide be- between the staff and the residents. It's more so that you know we're all in this together. We're working in this program, so it's something that we all have a stake and an invested interest in. So therefore, um, it's a it's a very communal decision making process where. There's not more priority on the staff or the residents. It's just this joint decision
0: that's being made and how would you describe the relationship uh, or the culture amongst the residents so again it's it's very collegial, and I
1: think I think the one part that I definitely notice at Mac is that even though it's it's a relatively big program, it's the second biggest program in the country. All the residents know each other very well we you know, before COVID happened, we would spend, we'd, we'd have get togethers every two or three months where everyone would get together and, you know, have a barbecue, um, have drinks, do something together or, or have like activities. And, you know, ev- everyone is truly friends with one another. And we know what's going on in other people's lives and their significant others and their families. And that's something that you don't usually see in bigger programs. So I think that's, Something that's special. And if, if that's something that a medical student wants in a program, it's definitely uh, worth looking at to, to be friends with your residents, because they're the people who you're going to spend a lot of time with for five years.
0: Uh, and now I'd like to hear a little bit more about the logistics of how residents live. Uh, do most residents rent or own? I think it's a combination of the two in, in Hamilton. So
1: Hamilton is definitely more affordable than other cities, and again, that's that's been changing a little bit recently. But um, out of the residents that I know, I would say it's about seventy percent of them own uh, a house, and the other thirty percent are renting. So um, yeah, it it's definitely a split, and Hamilton is is one of those cities where you could actually go out and buy a place for um with the resident's salary in mind and the amount um, of a mortgage that you would get from a from a bank over here
0: and what's the commute like from where most residents live to the different sites is it necessary to have a car
1: Yeah, so in hamilton you you would definitely need a car uh just because we do citywide coverage uh when we're on call at at hamilton health sciences and the distance between the general and mamsi is about 10 kilometers. So in order to get between those sites, you could take an Uber, you could take a taxi, but it's just a lot more convenient if you had a car. And the public transport system that exists is not that reliable, especially at night between those sites. Most residents, I would say, live uh, around St. Joseph's Hospital. The reason being is that St. Joe's is pretty much central between the Juravinsky Hospital, the General, and Mumsey. So i i live I live near St Joe's, and I can get to any of these hospitals within about five to ten minutes so it's it's a very short drive and it's it's easy when you're on call because when you're doing home call uh you truly can go home sleep in your own bed, and then if there's an emergency, you can get to the hospital in uh in in an acceptable amount of time.
0: Are you ever in a situation where you have to go to multiple sites in one day or within one rotation? Or is it generally that for one particular rotation, you're only uh, working at one site? So
1: um, the the one rotation where you could be at two different sites is when you're at the Hamilton General. So you could either be at the Hamilton General or at the Juravinsky Hospital, which is our cancer center. So the General is where we're doing our trauma and burns. And then Jurovinsky is where we're doing a lot of our breast reconstruction or sarcoma reconstruction for lower extremity with our orthopedic surgery colleagues. So on that rotation, you could be at either site. They're only about a five minute drive from one another though. So it's very easy to get between the two. And in a single day, you would only usually be at one of the sites. The difference is when you're on call and you're covering the city. So that means you're covering the Jervinsky, you're covering the Children's Hospital, and you're covering the General, is you technically could be able to see consults at all three of those sites in a given night. The amount of times that that's happened in my two years is is once. So it's rare for it to happen, but it, it can happen. And the other part is if there's uh, cases, uh, like main OR cases at each of those sites, you could be operating at each of those sites on that night.
0: And what is the breakdown of residents in terms of people being single, married, or having kids? So
1: most residents are in relationships, I would say. There's one resident who's married with a, with a child, and she actually had a child um, in the past year. So yeah, she, she's been off for uh, maternity leave over the past year, and the program has been extremely supportive, and all the residents you know, obviously love, love the baby and a very supportive offer. And then I would say there's about maybe 30 or 40% of the residents that are single as well. So it's, it's a good mix of everything. Uh There's only, I guess, one resident with a child in our program, but I, I don't think it's been an issue and no one has been, um it's in no way being obstructive to progressing through residency uh for her.
0: And what do you like about living in Hamilton?
1: Yeah, so um, ha- Hamilton is a is a great city, yeah, I think, to to live in because there's. It, I guess it depends on the type of person that you are, but you you have a lot of the amenities of uh, of being in close proximity to Toronto. So if you're a fan of theater, if you're a fan of uh, you know the ballet orchestra, you you can you can go to all of those shows when it's non COVID times, and you also get a lot of the big. Uh, like music concerts, comedians that, that you can also go and see in Toronto. It's it's not far enough away that you can just go there for a night, come back home. So you get those amenities without having that bustling lifestyle of living in, in downtown Toronto. So I, I kind of like that. I like having my own green space. I have, a, I have a back garden. I have a trail that connects to the Bruce Trail right near my house that I can go for runs on. I can run on the rail trail. So there's, there's a ton of green space that you know you can do outdoor activities and you can go cycling you you can you can go to the beach in the summer there's, there's all of those things that that exist um, really close by the the other part about hamilton is it it has a very gentrifying restaurant scene as well as um like a good music scene during during the summer as well when when things are opening up so if, if you know if if you're if you enjoy those things in some of your free time there's definitely like a plethora uh, of options available for it. So it, it gives you, I guess it gives you the the amenities of a very big city like Toronto, but it also can give you your space if you like having the ability to just escape, go for a run, play tennis, like um, whenever you want without being stuck in traffic for a long time, you can just go
0: and do those things. So that's most of what I wanted to talk about. Are there any final thoughts you wanted to leave us with, whether it be about, the program or the process of choosing a residency?
1: Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, I'm obviously still early on in my training, um, but I think the biggest thing as a medical student to consider, and this is something that I really thought of um, quite a bit when it came to, to making my ultimate decision, is you really need to think about, um, number one, what, what, what is the surgical specialty or what is the specialty that's, that's making you happy and why, why is it making you happy? I think that's one thing is just figuring out, you know, what you want to do. And there's a lot of different pieces of information that go along with that. I think the, the next most important thing to me in deciding where you want to train is you know the city is important um where your family is is important where your significant others is is important and you can consider all of those things but i think the part that's really stuck out to me is you need to look at the people that are in the program that you're applying to and seeing if you fit in with them and what i mean by that is it's both the, the surgeons the staff surgeons And the residents there and seeing if, you know, if these are your people. And what I mean by that is it's someone, are these people that you can see that you're going to be friends with, that you're going to enjoy um, hanging out with, that you can learn together with, um, because you're going to spend a lot of time with them. And if you don't have that, you're going to rely more on your, on your family and your other friends to be your, your support group. But if your residents can also be that, um, that crutch at times, it, it makes it makes residency a lot more pleasant and it makes uh you know those late nights of operating with your friend uh a lot better rather than being like just someone who's your colleague. And I think I think Mac has been very special like that um in in, in those terms for me because in those late nights um you know I've I've always had one of my friends there with me and it's been it's been amazing. Like you know you you get food afterwards, you're um you're doing you're doing what you love. You're spending time with somebody that you like and it just it doesn't make it feel like work anymore so i think i think that's a big thing that uh that people often are stressed about matching and you know deciding this order the rank order in terms of uh, a bunch of these extraneous uh parameters that that's difficult to control over but you know the Common things being common. If you found that you really got along with a certain group of people genuinely, they probably liked you too, and they're gonna they're gonna want you to match to them as well. So, so I think really think about that and um, use that as a guide uh, as to what you end up ranking and
0: uh, the the order that you decide. Thank you. That's great advice, and I was hoping to end with a question for our listeners. Could you please ask our listeners your favorite plastic surgery-related pimping question?
1: Oh yeah, I have got a good one. So, um, so this is one that I think I've been asked at almost every city that I've been to. So, when when you're doing a couple tunnel release, which you know everyone does them when you're on elective somewhere, there's a there's a muscle that you'll often see after you're getting down the uh, the palmar fascia and the antibrachial fascia. That will be before you see your flexor retinaculum. You see it in in a certain percentage of population, but not everyone. What is that muscle and um, what is it innovated by?
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Canada Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast platform and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's c doctor, o. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions and suggestions. At this point, I'd like to give credit to Jenna Stair for founding Doctority and making all of this possible. Anyways, thanks again for listening. See you all next time!